Father, I just thank you for your sons and for your daughters that are in this house today. I thank you that you created each one of us in your image and that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And that plan and that purpose looks different, but it all amounts to bringing you glory. And so, God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking. God, as I teach the word that you gave me, Lord, let it not be my words, but let it be your word that pierces our heart and that changes us and that makes us more like you. God, I pray that you would put a fire in our hearts, that we would burn and that you would consume us. Lord God, that you wouldn't just be something that we add to our agenda maybe once or twice or if we're really committed four times a week or a month, Lord Jesus, but God, that you would be something that every day as we wake up, Lord, we would praise you. Every night as we go to bed, that we would give you thanks, Lord, that you truly would be number one in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we look forward to what you're going to do because the good work you began in us, you will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So we've been on Mission Possible. I'm not going to try to do the cool little sound effects because I can't. (laughs) But some of you guys remember the old school shows with Mission Possible or maybe the newer school ones with uh, Tom Cruise. And so we kind of did a wordplay. Because it's not mission impossible, it's mission possible because God would never tell us to do something that wasn't possible to do through him. And so we've really been breaking down the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because we've been reading it every week. But I want to draw your attention to just part of the scripture here in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, go and make converts. No. It says, go and and make believers. No, make believers. Oh, that's kind of funny. Um, (laughs) It says, go and make disciples. See, friends, I feel like um, that the, the mission of God has has not been fulfilled because we stopped short of only making converts or only making people into believers of Christ and not fully making them into disciples. And so today I want to ask you a question. Are you a true disciple of Christ or just a believer? See, there's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. Now hear this. You can't be a disciple without being a believer. But you can be a believer without being a disciple. Did you hear that? But you can. And a lot, especially in the American church, are. See, true disciples, true disciples make Jesus Lord. Believers only make Jesus their Savior. Believers only uh, want Jesus for what they can, for what Jesus can do for them. But disciples are Ones who are fully devoted to Christ. See, the Bible even says in James that even you believe in God, good. Even demons believe and that they shudder. So God wants us to do more than just believe that he is real or believe in his son Jesus. That is the first step, friends. But so often we Stop at that first step. That would be like Josh and I getting married, boom, and that's it. We ain't never worked on our marriage since that first day I walked down the aisle. 
some married people do that too. (laughs) But friends, it doesn't make for a good marriage when we stop. It would be like having a baby and never training him to do anything. Never training him to tie his shoe, to feed himself, to go to the bathroom and lift the toilet seat and put the toilet seat back down. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Jesus desires for people to become disciples. So we're going to break down what it means today to be a true disciple of Christ. Amen. We're going to really be a lot in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, if you've got an old school Bible with the leather bound and the pages, you can do that. If you've got it on your phone, go to Luke chapter 14, 25 through 35. I'm going to eventually read every single one of those verses, but I'm going to take my time doing it. And we're going to go through what it means to be a true disciple versus just being a believer. And we're going to break down eight qualities of a true disciple. And we're going to break that word down, disciple, with an acrostic. Okay, so the very first thing that we need to be a true disciple is to deny their flesh. True disciples deny their flesh by coming out of the crowd. Well, what do you mean by that? Let me explain to you. In the beginning of Luke chapter 14, remember I told you to go there, verse 25, and I don't think that verse made the PowerPoint, but it is in your Bible. It says, large crowds say large crowds, were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, and then he goes on and explains what it means to be a true disciple. And we're going to break that down in a minute. But I want to draw your attention to that Jesus had a lot of, he had a large crowd following him. See, at times, uh, I didn't stop at just being popular. He didn't just stop at, uh, you know, having a crowd He wanted to explain very clearly what it meant to be a disciple. See, many people want to stay in the crowd and only use God for his benefits. God gives us benefits. And a lot of times when we have that crowd mentality, that's where we want to stay. They don't want to do the hard work, which we're going to read in the rest of Luke 14 when Jesus tells us what it takes to be a disciple. It's serious stuff, friends. We don't want to do that hard work and deny ourselves. Instead, if we don't, we don't really become true disciples. You know, the, the scripture talks about how Jesus would leave the crowd, the 99, and go after the one. And he calls us to do the same thing. The Bible talks about the woman with the issue of blood, how she had to push past the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. I just read something that I thought was very interesting. It said, if you're hanging on by a thread, make sure it's the him of his garment. Friends, we have to push past the crowd, but so often we stay very comfortable and and feel good um, among the crowd. See, um, the crowd is easy to hide from our calling and make excuses if we don't want to do it. Well, then someone else will. That's the mentality that the crowd mentality has. See, there's actually a thing called bystander effect. Have you ever heard of that? It's very interesting. See, it says if if you would witness a say an emergency happening right before your eyes, you would certainly think that you would step up to do something to help a person in need or in trouble, right? That's what we would think. Well, the likelihood of you actually doing that depends on how many people witness that crime with you. If you're in a crowd of people that have witnessed a crime, the likelihood of you stepping up to intervene and do something about it is is very unlikely. Now, if you're by yourself or maybe just with a couple other people, you may step up and do something. That's called the bystander effect. It's friends, that's we have the bystander effect in the church. 
We stay in the crowd and we say, well, someone else will serve in the nursery. Someone else will go pass out those flyers at Saturate Toledo. Someone else will, um, you know, take care of the poor. Someone else will answer that calling to go to a different country and share Jesus with somebody. Somebody else will feed me when I get to church on Sunday instead of opening our Bibles throughout the week. Come on. We have a bystander effect in the church, and it's time for us to get rid of that. And the only way we will get rid of that is come out of the crowd and be alone with Jesus and allow Jesus to help you deny yourself that comfort. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. We have to deny ourselves sometimes our comfortability that we find in a crowd to go do something different. That's why church planning is so hard because we leave what's comfortable to start a new work. <laughs> Those of you guys who've been with us, you know, in the beginning, you know, there's been times that you want to just say, forget it. I'm going to go back to this home church here. Or I'm going to go back where it's comfortable. But God has not called us as disciples to live a life of comfort. He has called us to deny ourselves. Yeah, Mic drop, too expensive. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Jesus. So to be a true disciple, number one, we need to deny ourselves. Number two, to be a true disciple, the invitation is answered and not ignored. See, one can't be a disciple if they don't receive a call, if they don't receive the invitation from the Lord. Matthew twenty-two fourteen says this, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Some of the older translations say, but many are called, but few are chosen. And what that means is that God gives the invitation to the crowd. Jesus turned to the crowd and said, this is what it takes to be my disciple. I want you. But only few choose to answer that call because it's hard and not easy. But the American church has been preaching for far too long. Come to Jesus and all your bills will be paid. I mean, they don't necessarily always say that, but that's what it's like, right? Come to Jesus and that life is going to be easy and you're going to feel loved all the time and you're never going to go through anything. You're going to slide down rainbows and you're going to hop through, you know, clouds. No, friends, that is the My Little Ponies. That is not the Christian walk. The call goes out to many, but few answer. The invitation is for everyone. Jesus wishes that none would perish, but few are willing to answer. And friends, I want our church to be full of disciples, not just believers, disciples who come out of the crowd and answer the invitation instead of ignore the invitation. Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on the call or invitation Jesus gives me. Do you? But let's be real for a minute. How many of us sometimes ignore that voice that tells us, girl, walk away. You know you're about to get angry right now and tell someone about themselves. I ignored that voice this week. Lord, help me. Come on. It wasn't even with you. Help your children. They're the ones now. It went from my mom being the one to make me most angry to my husband to now one of my children, but bless them, I love them all. As those who I love the most, I get angry with the most, you know? But we got, we got to stop ignoring when the Holy Spirit tells us to stop. And you know what? We got to stop ignoring when the Holy Spirit tells us to go. How many times do we miss and ignore the voice when the Holy Spirit tells us to talk to a stranger about Jesus? Oh, I don't want to be weird. I'm going to be one of those weird, pushy Christians. Like, 
Sometimes you just, you're just supposed to, you know, do it. Like you're at a restaurant and you see your waitress is going through something or having a bad day and said, I'm like, you ain't getting no tip from me. Shoot. How about actually say, hey, can I pray for you? And then leave her a good tip, right? Or that person at Walmart who is going extra slow. Like they're just trying to make the clock go. Come on. Have, am I the only person who gets that person? Because it happens to me all the time, right? And instead of like catching an attitude with them, why don't you ask them right there, hey, how's your day? Can I pray for you? It only takes five seconds. Josh just did this uh, this week, and, and God showed up. Friends, we can't ignore the invitation of God because, see, this is the thing. Jesus said he never did anything that he didn't see his father doing, and God is still at work today, but we are not paying attention to what he's doing and asking him, can we join you? Because he's still inviting us to join him at his work. But too often we're so caught up in our own life that we ignore the invitation friends we need to be careful when we ignore the voice of God because we might just miss our invitation to follow him so true disciples they deny themselves they answer the invitation and they sacrifice they live a sacrifice lifestyle or sacrifice is a way of life friends you remember Romans 12 it says that we are to be living sacrifices that the, that the way that we live should be holy and pleasing unto the Lord. Luke 14, remember I said we're going to be in Luke 14 a lot. Verse 27 says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Today, see, we wear crosses as necklaces or tattoos. We wear them as jewelry or artwork, and we don't really understand what the cross really meant to the first century church. Uh, see, they understood what the cross meant. It was, it was the worst, absolutely worst form of torture and execution that was usually only reserved for traitors, for um, traitors of state, the worst kind of criminals. It was like an excruciating way to die. And so when Jesus told his disciples that, hey, if you don't carry your cross, and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. They understood that he was saying sacrifice is going to be a lifestyle because they saw what crucifixions looked like. That They understood that the cross was not just a pretty thing to wear around your neck or to get tatted on your arm. They understood that the cross meant pain and it meant suffering. But friends, we like pleasure over pain. And we like to be squishy. <laughs> Spend my word today, squishable. Josh said it's not a word, but I think it should be if it's not. <laughs> we like to be comfy. And, and it's human nature, and that's okay. But remember, we have to deny ourselves. And God has called us to, as disciples, to pick up our cross and to follow him, to sacrifice. When Jesus said the disciples would be people of the cross, he was explaining the hard truth that following him comes at the greatest cost and with the most severe sacrifice. Being a disciple isn't for the faint of hearted. The 12 disciples left their source of income to follow Jesus. That's hardcore, that sacrifice. When God was calling me um, into his, to be a disciple, I had a choice to continue on with this scholarship that I had at, 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 at the college I was going to or to leave that and go to a place I never heard of before um, 
too much to be a disciple and to get training. It was a hard decision. My parents thought I was crazy. Teachers that, high school teachers thought I was insane, but I had to follow what I knew God was calling me to do and I had to make that sacrifice. And it's been a sacrifice. It's been a sacrifice, but it's been worth it. Friends, what happens is we are afraid when God comes calling that he is going to ask too much, and we don't want to make that sacrifice. We don't want him to touch our 401K. We don't want him to touch our career. We don't want him to touch our income. We don't want him to touch our nice, comfortable living in our nice, comfortable, cozy houses. We don't want him to touch our children to the point that they leave and go be a missionary in a different country. Friends, we want Jesus to touch us where it benefits us, but when he calls us to make a sacrifice that's when we want to stop back but see God didn't didn't do that for any of his true people even back in the old testament he asked Abraham sacrifice your one child God showed up and he didn't have to give up Isaac on the altar but he asked him to friends we have to be careful because God sometimes calls us to sacrifice that one thing that means the most to us and we need to be careful because true disciples will make that sacrifice but believers will stay in the crowd and be comfortable Are we really willing to sacrifice even our agendas, not just our sin, but our agendas, our dreams, and our talents to obey the will of God on our life? See, true disciples, friends, they deny themselves. They answer their invitation. Sacrifice is a lifestyle, and they count the cost. Luke 14, here we are again, 28 and 33. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not able to finish it, everyone will see it and ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to win with 10,000 men? to oppose the one coming against him, or 20,000. If he's not able, will he send a delegation while the others is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, say everything, you have cannot be my disciples. Whew. I picked a passage on our grand opening that, well, we really don't preach that often. <laughs> because, friends, the crowd mentality, I mean, it's not about just getting people in the church. It's about getting people discipled so they can get more people discipled so people could get into the kingdom of heaven, friends. But in order to do that, we've got to count the cost. And sometimes you won't look awesome. Sometimes you'll look crazy to people. Sometimes you'll look ridiculous. Sometimes you'll look foolish. But the Bible says he takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So we got to stop caring so much about what we look like to people. And we, start, we need to start counting the cost and caring what God is really asking us to do. Because sometimes it's hard work. Believers have too many unfinished towers because they never counted the cost. The prosperity gospel has deceived too many in the church. We are too afraid to let God in all the way and become disciples because we want to live a life of ease. So we stay in the crowd instead of coming out, carrying our cross, and counting the cost. 
True disciples, friends, they're committed. They don't quit when they experience pain. So often we see things unfinished in the kingdom of God, unfinished in our marriages because we don't want to do the hard work, unfinished training up our children because they're 18 and they can be out on their own now, unfinished because we're tired, unfinished because it's hard, unfinished because we get weary. But the Bible says do not grow weary in doing good, that in a due season you will reap the harvest. But, friends, we got to count the cost and realize it may, it's going to take your probably your entire life for God to continue to work on you. Guess what? It's been 21 years I've been serving the Lord with everything, and I have not arrived yet. As a matter of fact, the more I serve him, the more I realize, man, God, I still, I still deal with this. I still got to get you in here in this part right here that, that I thought I dealt with 10 years ago. No, baby girl, right over there. You kind of tuck that over in a little corner in your heart. You need to pull that back out. Come on. We got to count the cost. We got to realize it's going to be a lifetime serving him, dying to ourselves, doing the hard thing, being committed when we want to just be lazy and let someone else do it. Come on, somebody. This salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. It's Billy Graham right there. Hmm. See, friends, God has called us. He has called us to be more like him, and that is to be a disciple. He's called us to deny ourselves. He's called us when the invitation comes to answer it. He's called us to have a sacrificial lifestyle. He's called us to count the cost, and he's called us to have an intimate relationship with God, not just religion. Believers settle at religion. Disciples say, no, I want an intimate relationship with Jesus. If I was serving God out of duty and that's it, there's no way I would be where I'm at today. And there's still a lot more work I know that he has to do in me. But there's no way because duty gets boring after a while. Come on, somebody. But when it's an intimate relationship, see, this is what the Lord says in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. This passage right here I think is the scariest passage in all of the Bible. Take note. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean? Because See, he didn't even say Savior, Savior, right? Believers usually only know him as Savior, but he said not everyone who says Lord, Lord. So that means there's not only going to be people who are just believers. I believe those people will enter into heaven, just like the, the thief that was at the cross next to Jesus who barely even knew him said, hey, I believe. And Jesus said, today you'll see me in paradise, okay? But as believers, we're supposed to grow into disciples. But guess what? There's even going to be false disciples, People who appear to be disciples but aren't because he says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. What's the key? Doing what? The will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. Denying yourself, answering the invitation, living that sacrifice, counting the cost. 
being intimate with the Lord. That's the only way you even know what's his will. If you're not intimate with him, how do you know? See, many will say to me, this is Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. You heard about the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts? I used to teach my teenagers, don't be a Sceva believer. (laughs) See, these seven sons of Sceva went trying to cast out demons. And they got to a man who was demon-possessed. This is true stuff. The Bible is definitely not boring. And they tried to cast him out. As a matter of fact, they said, in the name uh, that Paul preaches, in the name of Jesus. And those demons came out. You know what they did? They jumped on that man, those seven sons of Sceva, and they beat them up so much. The Bible says that those seven sons left naked and bleeding. Y'all better, we got to be careful. We got to be careful trying to do something because, oh, well, this church did it and it worked for them. This church did it and it worked for them. I'm so tired of that. We've got to know what, what God is calling us to do, and that takes intimacy. That takes time, and it's, sometimes it, it doesn't happen overnight. As Americans, we want such a quick fix. Lord, okay, I'm getting, I'm, come on. Let's get back on this scripture. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Evildoers who are prophesying, casting out demons. Come on, friends. If it's not God's will and you're doing it to fake it so that you look good in front of people, that is religion. And God has called us to relationship. He's called us to intimacy. That word, I never knew you, is the same word that was used in the book of Genesis when Adam says that Adam knew Eve. What's that imply? Intimacy, friends. See, I might know about some people. You know, I even that's weird. Never mind. I was going to say this. <laughs> okay, well, we'll switch it up. Some of you guys, nope, that's weird too. Um, <laughs> we know about people from the internet, okay, right? We can know about, you know, President Donald Trump. Some of us know a lot and like him a lot. Some of us know him a, a lot from the internet and hate him a lot. But no one knows him probably like his wife, right? That requires intimacy. God has asked us for an intimate relationship with him. Not just religion. I'm going to break it down for you. Are you intimate with Jesus or are you just religious? Again, are you a believer or a disciple? See, a signs of just a religious attitude, come to church when it's convenient. Attention seeking, and I'm not talking about people coming because they're still seeking and they're, they're, they're not even sure if they believe. No, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who are believers and Christians, but they come when it's convenient, like Christmas and Easter, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? They come when they don't have nothing else going on in the calendar. You get what I'm saying, right? Attention seeking. They're at church, and they're like, look what I give. Look at where I serve, and I serve this. And then you, you know those ones because they usually start complaining about everything that they do. I've been in the nursery three weeks in a row. You know what I'm saying? Attention-seeking. Wanting their accolades. Pat me on the back. I'm so righteous. We got to be careful. They want acknowledgement. They only want to look good from the outside for people to see. You remember King Saul? Honor me in front of my people. That's what he said. But there's no real heart change. That's religion. It's duty. It's not relationship. But... Intimacy 
Signs of an intimate relationship with the Lord is that you're always learning, you're always growing, you're reading, you're studying, you're obeying, you're trusting, you're seeking, you're praying, you're worshiping. That's relationship with Jesus. God has called us as disciples to come into an intimate relationship. It's when there's a real heart change, friends. This is what it takes to be a disciple. It takes a lot. To be a disciple, we have to deny ourselves. When the invitation comes, we need to answer. We need to have a sacrificial lifestyle. We need to count the cost. We need to have intimacy with God. And we need to prioritize Jesus above everything and everyone. Back here in Luke 14, when Jesus is just telling the crowd all about it, he says this. Friends, a very hard scripture to understand. If anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. (sighs) Hmm. Friends of you, for those of you who don't know, Jesus is seriously hardcore. He does not want wishy-washy believers to only stay there. He wants us to make him our everything. But, friends, when Jesus talks about this, don't get it twisted. He's not saying we're supposed to actually hate our family. He's saying our love for God, it should look like our love for the people that we naturally love the most because it's natural to love our children more. Like, I love your children. I love people, and I love your children, but I love my children more than your children. It's just natural. It would be weird if I didn't, right? I think you guys have some great husbands in here. But I love my husband more than your husband. That sounds weird, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, I ain't coming back to that church. (laughs) And guess what? Every single one of us loves our own life. We do. That's why we get up. And we shower. We put on deodorant. I put on my contact and lost it and looked for it for 30 minutes, but you can see me in my glasses. I put put on makeup. I try to get myself right. I try to watch what I eat because I love my body and I want to honor God with it. All of us should. But the way we love ourselves and our family should be, it should look like hate in comparison to how much we love God, friends. He's got to be priority number one, not after I do this, after I do that, and after I do this. Well, let me tell you if he's not priority number one. If you're going through something and you have to go to somebody else every time, I'm not saying sometimes. Sometimes God leads us to go to other people. But I mean every time you're going through something, you got to call your mom and you're a 40-year-old woman. Every time you go through something, that only happened once this week. Every time you go through something, (laughs) (laughs) nope not anymore every time you go through something you had to have someone else like you're you're a person maybe it's your husband and and, and you you had to have him work you through it friends and maybe you're putting your husband a little higher than you're putting your god maybe you're putting your mom a little higher Uh oh i'm about to really get in your business now if your kids our priority over your relationship with God, and you miss a whole month of church because I gotta get my boy to the little league game, knowing he's not gonna be in the NFL. Maybe you prioritize your children more than you prioritize your God. 
Come on, parents. We do it. We do it. If you don't deny everything and everyone that we place is so important in our lives and put Jesus first, then you may just be a believer and not a disciple. God is priority even over family. The New Testament church, their culture and even cultures in different countries today, they get this because, see, when they become a Christian, they get disowned by their family. That happened in the New Testament church. When they left the Jewish faith to become Christians, they were disowned by their family. I talked to some of my friends who are missionaries in India and missionaries in Laos and missionaries in Africa and different places, and when someone in, in their community gets saved, their family disowns them. And they have to choose, is it more important to be in my family who I was raised with, who I love, who, who matters the most to me in this world? Or is it more important to be in right relationship with God? Friends, they got it. We don't, and we need to get it. We need to get it. Jesus must be priority number one in our life. Being a disciple is not for the faint of heart. We have to deny ourselves. When the invitation comes and we need to an answer, we have to have that sacrificial lifestyle, count the cost, be intimate with the Lord, prioritize Jesus, and live, live worthy of the call of God. So here he goes in Luke 14, and it gets a little weird here if you don't really understand the context and the culture. It says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it made, be made salty again? See, I'm giving up sugar right now, but thank God I can still have salt, so I totally get this. <laughs> And then he says, it's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What's he mean by this? Well, see, salt was a, a useful commodity in the New Testament. Salt was used for seasoning like we use it today. It was also used for preserving. And a secondary use is sometimes it was used as fertilizer. And God, and God or Jesus says that if salt loses its saltiness, it can't be seasoning. It can't be preservative. It can't, it's not even fit for the manure power pile. Come on, that's serious. And this is the thing. As Christians, we're to be salt to the world. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to um, preserve the word of God, and we're supposed to live a, a life that, that, that brings the flavor, that brings seasoning. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be useful for his kingdom. But see, sometimes, just like salt, if it was around other minerals, it could lose its, its saltiness and then be useful for nothing. Sometimes we can be contaminated as Christian people by the things of the world, and then we're useful, useless, and use, we can't be used for anything. But see, disciples are still answering the call, here I am, use me. That's what disciples do. But how can we answer the call, here I am, use me, if we have lost what matters because we're Friends, God doesn't want us to look like the world. He wants us to look like him. Disciples look like him. He doesn't call us to be contaminated. He calls us, calls us to live a life worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. True disciples still say, here I am, use me. I'm going to bring us to the last point here, friends. Josh told me this sermon is going to be long with eight points. I said, no, I practiced. It was only 20 minutes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's good stuff, though. Amen. True disciples deny themselves, answer the invitation. They have a sacrificial lifestyle. They count the cost. They're intimate with God. 
They prioritize Jesus. They live worthy of the calling. They don't get contaminated by the world. And finally, evangelism is part of discipleship. I've heard people say, oh, well, I'm, I like to disciple, and that person likes to evangelize. But see, evangelism is part of discipleship. Will you show that next slide? This is the thing. See, discipleship isn't a full circle unless we're doing evangelism. And evangelism isn't a full circle unless we're discipling. Life on mission, friends, is not just about being disciples, but it's also about making disciples who make disciples. Making disciples who make disciples. That what, that's what evangelism is. Jesus gave us clear directions and directive not to make believers, not to make converts, not to make creative, impressive organizations, not to build beautiful cathedrals and beautiful buildings, but to make disciples in every nation of the world. How well are you accomplishing the mission? Are you building disciples? Are you one yourself? Evangelism doesn't just mean going door to door or saturate Toledo. Evangelism is looking for opportunities to share Jesus with people who don't know him. Evangelism is once people come to know Jesus, showing them by your lifestyle how to be a disciple. That's true evangelism. See, the disciples got it. This is what Philip did, and we read this a few weeks ago, but I want to end with this. John 1:45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about the one the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, Nathaniel became a disciple. Notice he wasn't one of the 12 disciples if you go back and read the list. But yet he got to know Jesus because Philip understood evangelism goes with discipleship, just like discipleship goes with evangelism. This is the thing. Discipleship is living every day to the glory of God in front of other people and inviting them to join you in the journey. Would you stand to your feet, please? God is good, and he wants us to raise up disciples. Let's just close our eyes before him. I know that's a lot to take in. If anyone wants those notes, there's probably misspellings in them, but you can have them if you don't criticize too much. (laughs) Jesus. If you know that God is calling you in one of these areas of a true disciple that you maybe have maybe slacked on or area, even when I was studying it, like I said, there's some areas that I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm I'm still messing up in this area. And I, I want to give that to the Lord too. If there is an area that we talked about today that you need to deny yourself in a greater way, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? If you're saying today, I want to be a true disciple, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just with your hands lifted where you're at now, everyone's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. I just want to pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for those whose hands are lifted, those who feel you calling them to get out of the crowd, get out of their comfort zone, to do something a little different, to follow your invitation, to count the cost, to make the sacrifice, to prioritize you above everything to live a life worthy, to evangelize, to do what you've called them to do, to join you at your work, to 
to be intimate with you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us raise up disciples, not just believers. That you would help us raise up fully mature Christian people that are willing to count the cost and do what you've called them to do. Those who are raising their hand today, Lord, I thank you for touching them. I thank you for drawing them closer to you. I thank you for moving on their life. I thank you, Lord God, that they wouldn't feel condemned by the devil, but they would say, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to grow. I'm going to receive it and I'm going to mature in you because you're calling me for more. Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you will bless them and fill them. God, I pray all of us, as we leave today, that we would go and we would make disciples, first in our families, then in our communities. And Lord, that we would honor you with our life by being a disciple. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen, amen. God is good. If you don't have to rush out of here, please, let's get a, we have cupcakes and cake and all kinds of goodies.